The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Thank you, Kate. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to ask one question and open up to the audience. It's just a follow-up to yes. one of the things that you mentioned, but be thinking about what you would like to ask and take full advantage of Kate being with us. Uh, but you commented that two of your uh, best CEOs were actually students without a whole lot of yeah. experience, yeah. and we obviously have students in the room or people that were students very recently. So what was it about those two that ended up making them such successful CEOs, even though they didn't have a lot of experience or anything? Well, both of them... Um, yeah, the, the toughest thing early on was saying, you know, you need to get up earlier. The workday starts earlier. That was my first, you know, <laughs> thing with a student. I said, you know, a meeting, it, it, it can't be before 11. I said, well, actually, we're going to hire people. Getting in a little early. I know you're up at 3, but, you know, in both cases, they were technologists. Mm -hmm. um, they were passionate. They had thought and they had practiced in the area that were, they were creating um, solutions. Uh, one of these companies you may or may not, you may know Dropbox as a consumer product. One of them is Box.net, is the um, Aaron Levy's the founder there. And he looks just, I mean, he's the one who, who's going to present to my LPs. And I said, well, earlier in the morning. <laughs> anyway, crazy curly hair, you know. Um, and what was interesting about, and, and Josh James at Omnisure is another example. We were talking about Josh earlier. Um, they were young, passionate people. They had relevant background. And they did actually spend time post-school um, doing their own kind of bootstrap work mm -hmm. before they actually put together the company. So they had some work experience, mm -hmm. but, you know, but not in a big company. Neither of them had worked had at a big company. They never managed anybody. Yeah. They managed themselves. That was tough enough in both cases. And both of them had something that is very hard to learn. Um, but they both had high emotional intelligence. I think that's really important when you think about working with people and reading a room and understanding a solution that needs to be solved because a lot of technologists just say don't you love my technology as opposed to I've heard what you say I think my technology can help you and I think it's that ability to listen to have some maturity and it was interesting you know it was this last October you know Aaron's now the, the youngest in the stable and I knew he'd be passionate I knew he'd be enthusiastic and he has a very interesting this is about basically sharing technology you know I, I have archives in my office um, and you have archives in mm -hmm. your office. You and I could have been working on these slides by sharing them in Box.net and having a central repository. And you could, always, you know, even if I was doing it late at night or early in the morning, you could always see my latest version. Right. We didn't have to ship it to each other, that kind of thing. Um, and so I thought he, you know, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, and again, pension funds, you know, a very conservative group. And here he is with his hair. He gave one of the, he really understood his audience. He'd really done his homework. He really thought about how his product would work. And he was himself. He was a young, enthusiastic guy. But I think that ability to make that connection mm -hmm. and that emotional intelligence and really understanding the business problem in addition to the technology, he really wowed me. And I think I, it was the case in Josh James's case, and I believe this with Aaron, that he's going to be able to go the distance. And the best companies, by the way, the founders stay with them. So, great. Well, what do you all have to ask, Kate? Open the floor to the audience. Don't be shy. It's more fun. This way, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think over the past couple of years, there's been a shift in innovation um, from you know companies or entrepreneurs who are actually building products to um, <coughs> more like social media yeah. um, and crowdsourcing, essentially. 
you know, building a platform that brings people together and selling advertisement. Do I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, what the future of that is. I mean, do you do you think that's a sustainable uh, business model, or you know, do people just need to go back to actually building, building products? products? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty, and I'm, I'm I sense a bias in your question, which I share actually. Um, that ultimately unique products work. I think I think social media though has created some really interesting platforms the way people can work that I think is very interesting. But I also agree with you that we also are going to ultimately need to go beyond that and have products because everything, can, I mean, how many ads can we all take? I mean, <laughs> I, you know, at some point, I, you know, and believe me, I get all these pitches. I'm thinking, oh my God, will there be any part of my life where I won't be advertised to? Again, back to, you know, business models for things like journalists. I'll pay not to get the advertisement, please. Uh, Pandora, you know, in the middle of a nice mood music and there's the advertisement. Um, so I, I agree with you that I think completely ad-supported has its limits, and I think the pendulum will swing back. I think social media is so exciting right now. I think it's experiencing a bubblet. <laughs> if you're, well, in the case of Facebook, a big, I mean, a big bubble. Um, you know, there, I think it is interesting because it's a whole new paradigm. But I also think that it's much, I, you know, we, we use this phrase in our um, partnership, that YouTube was interesting, you wanted to avoid the MeTubes. Um, you know, the, I think in social media, there probably will be some interesting platforms. Um, ultimately then, it's what products and services get built on that, because I think doing the next platform, it's been done. I mean, you're not gonna do 10 Googles, um, and you probably won't do 10 Facebooks. So I think it's really what can you do with that. We're involved in a company in Indianapolis, um, Exact Target, which is a big company now. They just acquired, um, about a year or so ago, a company called CoTweet that and it's, it was an enterprise tweeting company, um, and the only one, really, at that time. Um, but the idea there is back to you know, a product and service that corporations need to buy. Bank of America needs to communicate on Facebook, on Twitter, and by email with its clients on an opt-in basis where the client wants to get alerts about a stock price. Uh, I want to know my plane is late, and which way do I want it? And that's actually a service that you charge for just you know, kind of like anything else. And it is interesting, I think, some aspects of products, and there's a lot in, um, in Southern California, particularly down in San Diego, that's silicon-based. Um, I think one of the, the challenges when it's really a hard product, a hardware product, is more of the value, though, has come in the software than in the hardware itself, because so much of that has been commoditized, particularly in Asia. Um, that's good, though, because if you think, you know, bad if you're a hardware engineer. Um, good if, if your view is you can use now a cheaper way to get products to market if you can build value on, those, on, those, on that hardware. So I think there's really room between, you know, kind of the pure consumer-based, you know, social, ad, you know, digital ad-supported kind of apps and pure hardware. I think you'll see a lot of new products coming out, and I think you see it always in clean tech and healthcare, but you'll see it in technology too, because that's really what businesses buy. They're pretty pragmatic. But it's the right thing to ask. You want the next wave. That was the one that broke. Back here. Hey, Kate. Randy Churchill with PwC. As you know, I'm very... You're very I'm, knowledgeable. I'm you should be up here. And you promised to ask a really tough question. And I here it goes. I heard, yes. Uh-oh. So the one piece of data I didn't see is the LP investment data. So it's come from like $100 million in 2000 down to... Actually, that was the exit slide where it was $100 billion at the peak and it's down to $12 billion 12. last year. So what do you hear from the LPs and when are they coming I back to venture? I think, honestly, you know, it, it's, I hear from limited partners. These are, again, the institutions that invest in venture. So if you're an entrepreneur or a VC, the source of all of our capital. 
Um, I, you know, two, they, uh, I've talked to a few limited partners recently of ours. Two-thirds of their, normally they have anywhere between a quarter and a third of their venture firms fundraising. Because it's been such a difficult time to fundraise, the 10-year numbers look bad because we're still paying the sins of the bubble. Um, and people are, you know, boy, if you don't like, if you want liquidity, venture is not the place to be. Um, so there, you know, there's really been kind of an exodus. So a lot of people put their fundraising on hold. A lot of them are saying that two-thirds of their venture firms are out fundraising, and they have fewer spaces. So I am, and it depends on how your point of view, whether that's, I have a pessimistic or an, op, or an optimistic point of view on this. I don't think that the numbers are going to go up. I think there more there's going to be a higher failure rate for venture firms over the next couple of years. You know, the 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 music is not you know musical chairs is stopping. So I think you'll see, and we assume in the NVCA that our membership continues to decline over time. It has, um, not at the rate you'd expect, because people are still hopeful of raising another fund. I think in the next two years you're going to see that finality sort of come to roost. I don't think it's going to be more than 12 billion for the next couple of years. President of Stanford at the NVCA meeting two yes. years ago say that they're out of venture and they won't return soon. Is that st still the case? I don't know about Stanford in particular. Most of them have cleaned out of their portfolio. I mean, you know, everyone followed the Yale model for those that David Swanson, that for those that have read his book, put a huge amount in venture. And when the university is relying on the cash flow to support operations, can't have a lot of illiquid assets that have a cyclical nature to them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's been some permanent right-sizing. The balance to that is there is a lot of international capital, in particular sovereign wealth funds, as well as from Europe. And there are some challenges we can talk to about Europe. Um, there's some regulatory challenges there, as there is in the U.S., but, but uh, there, there is some balance to that. But I think people are realizing that just as, as you know, entrepreneurs themselves or venture capitalists, it's not a give, you know, we saw the late bubble, you know, the bubble in the late 90s and 2000, all this would be easy. It's not, and you need to build it into a balanced portfolio. So I think it's going to be pretty grim and slim pickings. Again, though, it's like going on a diet. We're going to be leaner and better. Great. Thank you. And again, I, I'm going to throw questions your way because you've been, you know, and, you, and anybody, as an example, if you want to network in this business, you have a lot of people here, Randy, you know, Steve from Silicon Valley Bank, a number of folks that you should be talking to who spend a lot of time in the industry. Let's go here and then we'll go to Gray. So. Hello. Great presentation. I'm Carissa Shaw, CEO of Ergolution. How did you start scale and what was your first investment? Oh, okay. How do we start scale? Well, we we started, we were part of a venture group at B of A, and B of A decided to get out of the business right at the peak of the market. And so we looked around. We all, I mean, everyone was hiring. That was right before the wave crested. And um, we all had offers from other firms. And we had gone through some tough times together. You know, we had an interesting group of people. There was a leadership issue, and in the, in the, the, there was a fellow who ran that business who felt ran it hierarchically, and it's a partnership business. So that was number one. And so he was definitely kind of going to be on his way out. And we looked around the table and said, golly, we all have job offers, but there's a LIFO aspect of this. I could be the last in that fund and the first booted. I mean, it felt like a tulip mania. We didn't know when it would end, but we felt the music was in. And we liked and really trusted each other. So we put together, and, and then we sat down and said, you know, one of the things that had been lacking with this leadership, they did have, they were very hierarchical, but they didn't have a business plan. We did what our entrepreneurs did. I remember sitting there with one of my partners late at night, typing out a business plan, just like an entrepreneur does, to go ask for the business. 
And our first investment was a company called Seattle Genetics. It's a very large public biotech company. It spun uh, unwanted IP out of large companies. Mike and I were talking about that earlier. Um, the CEO had an experience, knew one of my partners was a former Genentech partner. And he sat around the table and you know he gave us this whole pitch and he was passionate about it. And the CEO came in, Clay Segal, who's again, founder, still CEO. Those are the best companies. And, um, and at the very end, he said, but I don't want to lose our money and your money, because we're writing personal checks alongside our limited partners. And we said, you know, it's a partnership, Lou. You gave us all the information. This is our investment, not your investment. And off we were to the races. So it was our first IPO, by the way. It did really well. It did really well. Great. So it was fun. But it was taking a risk. I mean, we could have failed. We could have went home and said to my husband, this might not work out. I hope you're ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh. Ah. that job offer still goes, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every time I go by Starbucks, it's like, I did that job. I know I could do it again. You know? <laughs> Great. You had a question. Hi. Gray DeFever, DeFever Advisory Another group. knowledgeable investor. Oh, bless you, dear. Uh, <laughs> a couple of questions. I agree with most everything you've said. Um, yeah, the, uh, a lot of the limiteds are broke, bankrupt. Or uninterested. In or they're not interested yeah. any longer. The sector just hasn't returned no. to the and, right. And then we didn't give them liquidity. Uh, and here we are. The thing blew up. The wheels fell off in 2008. And here we are. You're talking about 7,000 plans a year you get to look Isn't at. Isn't that incredible? There's pent-up demand. There, 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 there is. There's a... And there's a, a um, there's a, a scenario out there in, in in capital that says that we're now expecting more from less. Uh, a couple of examples might be SaaS and the cloud. Right. That uh, that investors are expecting that a company is more fully cooked before you look at it, before it's really ready for its first institutional round, and and, and to carry that thought forward, there are some who are bullish and believe uh, that ventures poised for, uh, for a real good run-up in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. How do you comment on that? Well, that's why I was thrilled about that slide that showed early investing up, because I agree with you. We can't just take a company over the finish line. If that's where all our money goes, how do you get to the finish line? Because remember, you have to take something out of R&D and bring it to the finish line. The other thing is there's an element of the industry right now, and you guys have probably talked about this um, in the various businesses and or school, which is the rise of the super angel and or the micro VC, although I talked to a micro VC who said, I don't want to be called micro, he's like 6'4". I said, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I could be called micro. Um, but anyway, these are, these are you know, in some cases, super angels that are investing their own capital as successful entrepreneurs. In some cases, they're institutionally funded. So they're 25, 50, 75 million um, in size. And interesting enough, there's a back to the future aspect to this because that's just where the industry started. So you have the big, hugely successful names like Sequoia and Kleiner who continue to be successful, but they have become so much bigger. They're managing billions of dollars worth of assets. It's harder for them to do that really seed stage local investing where, they can, they, the, where the investor has the time to ask the CEO, you know, oh, I just had this disaster last night. What can I do? You know, the, they just, that doesn't fit with some of the larger firms on Sand Hill Road. And why I'm so enthusiastic, not only that early stage investing is, is up, but why I'm so enthusiastic about the micro VCs, seed firms. At the NVCA, we've been really active on 
working with the Angel Capital Association and helping them out. In fact, they ha don't have as much money as we do, so we frankly help them on a couple of issues in Washington because we think angels are a really important part of the ecosystem. Um, we do events with folks like that. And then even within the MVCA, we're starting a new kind of emerging manager, but it's really meant to be a smaller manager of capital. And frankly, I think it's great for LPs. I think there's a really, you know, when you think about billion dollars, and you go back to the multiple we need to make institutions happen, and the few even now with IPOs going up, how much market cap do I need to create to, re to, to return a multiple on a billion dollars? That's a lot. You know, there'll be, I, I still think, that, you know, and I think there are a lot of LPs who think that model is quite challenged. When you start looking at being able to return capital on $100,000, a, a million dollar exit is a 10x. So the economics actually, and particularly now that there are, you can build companies with less capital, um, maybe you don't need to create a public company. Maybe you can sell it to Google for six or seven million and have a really healthy company. Or you sell it to, like Hotweet did, to a company like Exact Target, and you actually don't then need to take 10 years to go public because you probably were a product or a feature. Those guys, by the way, are all still with the company because they really inform the whole social media aspect of what Exact Target is doing. So we kept them because they're really valuable. So there are various ways that you know, early stage entrepreneurs and early stage investors can be, I think, a credibly valuable part of the ecosystem. And interesting, I don't know, Randy, if you've heard this, but limited partners these days, I've been at a couple events, are talking about building a portfolio of these because they think the economics are so much more interesting for smaller, invest, inve smaller vehicles um, because the upside potential is so much higher. So I think, I think now's the time for that phase of investing. People are hungry in that cocktail. One of the things I would add, and I didn't mention this in my introduction, you mentioned our first wave accelerator. Yeah, and that's kind of, it's so actually cool. an example. It's a, it's a perfect example of that piece yes. of it. Uh, we are very close to rolling out a, an accelerator, kind of a, a proof of concept component that will have a, uh, do 50000 probably about $100,000, $150,000 funding early stage to help folks make sure that the technology, what they're trying to do is really going to work so that they then are ready for kind of the next real stage of funding. So it's very, very early stage. It'll be available to students, alums, and others that are interested. And the 15X project I mentioned, we believe that out of that will come a lot of really fabulous ideas that exactly. can feed through the accelerator and we'll have a board and others affiliated with the university and friends that can actually be advisory as well. Exactly. And so that really early stage stuff that isn't quite sure it's ready for prime time yet yeah. can figure out if and it is. And it gets the coaching and the grooming exactly. and, and, and has a much higher chance of success. Mm -hmm. I, I think those kinds of programs have great benefit. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think really allow the opportunity to unlock all that mm -hmm. IP and smooth the process mm -hmm. so that you're not one of those thousands of plans exactly. that just falls on the floor, but really, if we could figure it out, has potential. So I think that's, I applaud you guys for doing that. Well, I think it's a you. lot of fun. But it's a great capstone to an educational experience where we started at the very beginning saying, yeah. what problems do you want to solve and how are you going to solve it? Yeah. And now let's create a business plan and now we can help get it kicked off on the backside. Well, and so it's a great, it's yeah, great. we were talking about this, that the idea, the 15X idea, that there, there's all this great technology coming out of UCSB. They don't have a business school. Right. And that is one of the things you see all this great technology and you're thinking, oh my God. You know, the guy has no idea how this, you know, <laughs> I think that's a great partnership. It is, it's fabulous. You know, among, you know, for the students, for the faculty, I think that is going to be exciting. That's, I think, going to be, a, you know, and again, a great opportunity mm -hmm. for the region. Uh, I've, John Shears back here, he's our entrepreneur in residence. He's working with those teams. And one oh, of great. the things he told me was, oh, good for what, you. And even in the few weeks they've been working together, he's seen the scientists starting to ask business questions. 
That's great. And you see, and the business students start to sort of get, get the, the whole technology and ask more technical questions. That's so it's just great. been a great learning experience. That is along great. The way and too. those entrepreneurs are the kinds of entrepreneurs, you know, the engineers that can go out and start companies. Obviously, your business students are getting prepared right. to be CEOs. I mean, this is all a great experience for them because they're learning what it mm -hmm. takes to, to put together a viable business plan. Well, good for you. I think that's a huge, huge opportunity there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're throwing out all the acronyms. And yeah, that's very cool. That's a lot of fun. Well, so as we close, do you have any sort of one or two words of wisdom for our budding oh, entrepreneurs out gosh. here that they can take home and sleep on tonight that will get them inspired to wake up yeah. in the morning and go, go for it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, it, you are the answer to, you know, what's ailing our economy. Because I do think when you look at the United States, one of our greatest assets has been our ingenuity and our, our willingness to try new things. All of us in the West, you know, somebody made a, a choice to come here. Um, none, you know, none of us were born here. Um, our ancestors were born here. And I think it's really, you know, taking those kinds of risks and being willing to, to move forward. It's hard because it is some of the unknown, but I think you'll get a lot out of it, and I think we all get a lot out of it. So I appreciate that you're here. Thank you. Kate, thank you. Bye. Thank you.